Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we interview women executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to the Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well being. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks, to be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible. You're listening to The Well Women Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from it, one way or another, good or bad. Being a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to The Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hi, Giovanna Rossi here, and welcome to another episode of The Well Woman Show, where I interview women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and their road to becoming and being who they are today. Are you at the top of your game professionally, but feeling burned out, or finding it hard to focus on your goals, or unfulfilled personally? Or are you in transition, simply juggling so many things, you find it hard to take care of your own needs? Well, you're not alone. We all need to activate the four universal superpowers— These are the internal strengths and abilities we all already have, but don't use all the time. Superpowers can be cultivated, and they include awareness, intuition, action, and acceptance. Toward the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers, and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to live a well-woman life. I'm so happy you're here, so thanks for tuning in. This episode of The Well Woman Show is brought to you by Collective Action Strategies, supporting organizations that support women and families, and by Well Woman Life Movement Challenge Quiz, your resource for living your best life. If you're in burnout or major transition, this is your time to figure out what's holding you back from making the changes you need to make in order to live your fullest, most joyful life. The cause of all of our challenges, personal or professional, can actually be rooted in the lack of internal superpowers and or external supports. Our Well Woman Life Framework tells you which stage of the Well Woman Life Cycle you're in and what to do about it so you can truly live your best life. You can find out more at wellwomanlife.com quiz. I'm so thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico, a monthly green healthy lifestyle publication. And for support from High Desert Yoga, promoting optimum physical health, clarity of mind, and spiritual inspiration for all. Hello, and welcome to The Well Woman Show. I am Giovanna Rossi, and if you have not joined us before, or if you're new to the show, I want to give you a very warm welcome. You are in for a treat today. We have a uh, top-notch um guest with us, uh, Jennifer Palmieri, who is a, uh, well, one of the most accomplished political and communication strategists in the USA today. She served as head of communications for Hillary Clinton, and also under uh, President Barack Obama. So um, you're definitely in for a treat. The Well Woman Show is focused on bringing the stories of high-level executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs to the world to share our successes and challenges as women leaders and um, hopefully uh, gain some insight and wisdom along the way about how we can be 
uh, doing things in a slightly different way from a different frame or a different mindset or taking different actions um, in order to really live our best lives. So with that, I want to share very quickly before we get started, um, a couple of reviews I received on this podcast um, through iTunes. And these, uh, the first one is from uh, DYD Approved. And she says, I found this podcast to be both comforting and empowering. It has broadened my perspective on holistic well-being and meditation. Incorporating female leaders is into your content is both genius and refreshing, and I can't say enough good things about it. It's a wonderful addition to my playlist, and I look forward to learning more. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, DYD Approved. Um, love that. Love, love, love getting your feedback. It really helps um, me understand what you are getting out of this. So uh, it's awesome. Um, also, the Metter says, this is not just for women. I'm a guy. And to be honest, I wasn't sure if this podcast would be useful to me. I'm so happy to be wrong. Professional, well-directed interviews and content that really applies to life and personal betterment. Don't wait. Listen now. Thank you, The Metter. That's awesome. I'm getting more and more men listening to this show. Um, I run into uh, men online or in person, and they say that they've been listening to the show, that that they have really been getting a lot out of it. So that's awesome. Um, definitely love to hear that. And uh love to get your reviews. If you want to leave a review and have me read your review out on the air, go to the iTunes, The Well Woman Show, and uh, you can rate and review there. So on with the show, today's topic is bringing the whole you, including the feminine, to the workplace and leadership. And hopefully by the end of the show, you'll be inspired to step into your power as a leader with all of yourself in order to make a bigger impact in your work and the world. If you feel you've been holding back or trying to fit in by acting in ways that are not aligned with your true self, this episode is definitely for you. Not to mention the powerhouse guest I have on this week to talk about this and a whole lot more. My guest today is Jennifer Palmieri. She is one of the uh, leading um, American political and communication strategists of today. And she was the White House Deputy Press Secretary under President Bill Clinton, head of communications for Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign, and White House communications director under President Obama. She's currently president of the Center for American Progress Action Fund and has been a frequent contributor to the Washington Post and other national print outlets, and also a guest commentator on MSNBC news shows. In her new book, Dear Madam President, Jennifer Palmieri uses hard-earned experiences and lessons from her days in the Obama White House and Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign to pen an empowering letter to the first woman president, and by extension, all women seeking positions of power. She aims to forge a new model of leadership that fully embraces their feminine qualities and demonstrates that women can best serve by being themselves. Wow, what a concept, right? If you are excited about listening to this, then um, just keep listening. What you're going to learn in this episode is what Jennifer did the morning after the 2016 election, 
which event planted the seeds for her book, Dear Madam President, why she wanted to change the conversation about women and leadership, and how she felt she let the country down and what she did about it. So I hope you enjoy this interview. And um, here is Jennifer Palmieri. I'm speaking with Jennifer Palmieri this morning. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Really nice to be with you. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you because you've got a lot going on. Um, as we heard in the introduction, you have an extensive, you know, background in in politics and communication, and we'll get into some of that. Um, and you most recently, you know, wrote a book, and we'll talk about that. I want to start, Jennifer, by just asking you to kind of walk us through. I'm sure you've told this story, you know, a million times, but. <laughs> What was it? Uh, what What was the journey for you from you know uh, the November election two thousand sixteen to like the the days just after that? So I was I was really shocked after um, you know on that night of the eighth, um, and when I woke up on. Uh, Wednesday, November 9th, I slept for a couple hours and I felt as if I had woken up into a different universe. I describe it in pretty um, graphic detail in the book because I think a lot of people felt that same way. Um, you know, we were right inside the campaign, so maybe it was, we felt a little more acutely, but I don't think it was different than how um, most women who, you know, didn't support Trump felt on that morning. And the way I describe it is that it felt like the movie scene you don't ever see, which is the scene where you don't defuse the bomb just in time. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't save the world just in time, but the world explodes and it. um, and it's a frightening, and I just had a lot of fear. I, I, um, uh, it's always frightening when you enter a new world, but I also had this sense of failure and that we had really let the country down. And I think, um, also like a lot of women, my first instinct was to keep fighting. And I wanted to, because, you know, the way our system works, the actual election, um, that counts, uh, doesn't happen until, um, until the electoral college um, meets, which was December 19th. Right. And I, you know, my first instinct was like, why are we giving up now? Let's keep fighting. And interestingly, a lot of the women on the campaign felt the same way. There was a gender gap. The men thought we should give in and the women wanted to keep fighting. Mm. And I think, yeah, isn't that interesting? I think it's because men have a sense they know when they're beat and women just don't want to give in. You know, we just want to keep fighting. Um, so on, but you know, so that, which is what I did for six more weeks, try to keep the, trying to keep hope alive and pursuing recounts and seeing if there's any way to still win. And, and what, was, what was Hillary saying through all of that? So Hillary wanted to keep options open to see if we could, if there was a path to win, you know, either recounts, um, exposed, um, um, you know, recounts either showed that she won some of these um, key states that we had lost in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, or that there had been Russian interference or something would get disclosed in the Russian investigation that, you know, changed people's minds. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, but she was not, 
as aggressive. She didn't feel as she didn't feel that as strongly as I did. And there was a lot of concern also about would that cause a lot of unrest in the country if we were seen as because no one's pursued this avenue before, although mm-hmm. it's part of the process. No one's really pursued the avenue where you keep the election alive during the electoral college process. And that could be very disruptive and, um, you know, perhaps even uh, cause violence in the country. So, you know, it's a it was a very it's a serious decision to mm-hmm. actually act on that. And in the end, she chose to try and keep our options open, but not make an aggressive uh, play to actively keep the campaign going in that time. And then, you know, I had to decide, like a lot of women, how do you feel about this? Do you feel like, um, do you feel coward in this moment? Do you feel that, well, I guess that Donald Trump is the guy that's meant to win? Or do you feel, or does his, does his victory prove to you that we've been playing by the wrong set of rules. And that's just how I felt. I just felt empowered in this moment. I didn't, and defiant even. Um, And I was very frightened for the country, but I knew that I had to keep fighting. I had to stay engaged and um, was so relieved on uh, January 21st, 2017, to see, as I watch from the sidelines in New Orleans, millions of women turn out to protest as part of the Women's March. And I thought, boy, a lot of us are feeling the same way. We all have that same sense that of empowerment. And that's why, and the sort of the seeds of the book started were planted then. Um, and Jennifer, I wanted to explore that. Yeah. So did you take a, a break? Like, did you go into, no. into no, 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 like no, no, no. hibernation <laughs> or anything? <laughs> no, and I still haven't. I feel that I probably need to do that because I didn't. I was panicked right afterwards, right? And I, I fought on until December 19th. And then after that, I was panicked about, you know, what is going to happen to our Republic. And, um, also I had to make money, you know, I needed, I, both my husband and my husband had worked in the Obama administration, you know, I had worked in the campaign and both of us were out of work. So, um, you know, like (laughs) real life considerations. Um, and so I started working right away in January. Um, and you know, in two organizations that allowed me to, which I was really grateful for, it allowed me to, stay in the fight and try to protect, right, you know, as part of the Center for American Progress and also mm-hmm. uh, the Emerson Collective, you know, st- stop to start, try to protect healthcare, try to uh, protect uh, dreamers that were facing deportation, the you know, fighting the Muslim ban, things like that. So, um, and then writing a little bit on the side to try to determine if there, if I had something there to say that would be worthwhile started yeah. the book in earnest not until the fall okay so you clearly had some ideas about you know what what you were going to write in your book because of because of your direct experience but you also had this uh, other sort of um these other ideas germinating and and developing mm-hmm. about about really changing the conversation about women and leadership. So right. can you talk about what that uh, transition is for you? Or, or you know, is this new? Yeah. 
is it a new it idea is. for you? It is. It, I mean, there are some of these things that I talk about in the book about um, understanding the power of your own voice, um, the need to speak up, the need to make sure your own perspective is represent as uh, your own perspective is um, presented in um you know, and however you engage in the world, whether that's through your family or in your community or, or work or politics, that part wasn't new. Um, I learned that during, by working for President Clinton, I learned that from working with President Obama. But what was new to me was understanding just how limited a view I had had about leadership and how women engage in the world as leaders. I had one moment in October of 2016, towards the end of the campaign, where it occurred to me just in a flash, I remember sitting on the tarmac in Florida, and I thought, trying to process all of the, what I see as irrational hatred around Hillary, and these claims that she's so inauthentic, and there's something about her I just don't like, and all of that. And it occurred to me that what we had done on the campaign was turned her into a female facsimile of the qualities that we look for in a male president. Mm -hmm. Um, And it felt like a real gut punch because I thought, A, that's probably why people think she's inauthentic. It's as if you're trying to jam her into this ill-fitting suit. Right. Yeah. She could never be that. She could never be that. Yeah. And that means a lot of her own qualities, her own humanity is um, absent. And also, that's a, it's a fundamental flaw in the design. And I, you know, something you have to go all the way back to square one to fix. And I just realized, how could I have never seen that before? And I didn't know, sitting there, how you would do it any differently, because there mm-hmm. is no other model. And... It's really only then that I appreciated and started started to think, you know, then and then in the process of writing the book that what a big deal for it is for a woman to be in charge. <laughs> if you step back and look at this from the scope of human history, it is still a radical concept for a woman to be in charge. And well, and just touching on your your point here, um, you yeah, know, it does seem like in the eighties and nineties, it was it was the thing to do was to act like a man. Like you had to act like a man in the workplace in order to get ahead. And then and we've seen that transition a little bit in in the workplace where women are bringing more of themselves to work. Uh, yeah, but, but at mm-hmm. that level, at that high level of leadership, that you know, we were not seeing that. And it was she was still expected to like, basically act like a man in that role. And she could never do that because she's not a man. And you know, just all of those issues. It was just yeah. And yeah, it it, you can, I I think that what she had to do what everybody in her generation had to do, as you know, like in the 80s and 90s, everybody who broke glass ceilings in whatever profession they were in, which is prove I can do the job the same way it's always been done. Mm -hmm. No allowances have to be made for the fact that I am a woman and nothing will be different. Right. Okay. All right. That's not good. Right? Yeah. So you want things to It's not good. I mean, it's not good. You know, like you want things to be different. And also you shouldn't have to act like a man. But so in uh, retrospect, that one. Yeah. yeah. So in retrospect, and this is, pro- you know, this is what you're writing your book about, or what you what the book is about. But it, if you can share here now, sort of what are some of the things that actually, you know, you would have 
advise her or she could have done or, or, you know, if she had to do it all over again kind of thing. What, what are some of those things that you could do differently? Honestly, I don't know that there's a lot you could have done differently in real time in 2016 because 2016 was literally a different universe. Yeah. I think the first woman had to go through this. I, you know, I just, I think the first woman had to do what she did and what women of her generation did across the board, prove you could do the job the same way, that it doesn't, that no allowance has to be made um, for me. I don't need any special uh, considerations. Mm. And I think now going how I would do it now for a woman, um, and I don't think Hillary will ever run again, um, but, you know, for another woman is that is you, there's not a, you know, there's, there's not a path to follow here for what that, you know, for what that looks like. You're still going to be creating that new model, but you can bring more of your full self. So one tangible example might be, uh, Hillary has talked about at that second debate, um, where Trump had, um, in St. Louis, where Trump was sort of looming right behind her and yes. she felt that he was trying to intimidate her. Right. And she says, you know, in retrospect, I should have turned up and said, you know, turn around and said, back up, you creep, like give me my space. Mm. And I think if she had done that in 2016, the coverage of that debate would have been Clinton rattled. Yeah. Trump got under her skin. He has finally cracked her. No one has been able to do it. And he's the one that has. Mm -hmm. And it would have given him an upper hand um, and, uh, and, and, and made her appear weak. I think that I really think that's how that would have been received. I don't think that's how that would be received today. Right. I yeah. think if you did that today. So that is it's you know, you. You can be emotional and strong. You can be, you don't have to prove that, um, you don't have to prove that there is, that there's no emotion in you, which is what I feel that women were, um, you know, pushed to do in the last few, um, decades. I, you know, people in the, people I've worked with in the last, you know, couple of decades, you know, some women would still grouse and say, well, you know, it's a man's world. And I, I kind of bucked against that because I, I, I didn't feel that it was. I felt that I was doing just fine and I was succeeding. And the fact that I was a woman, eh, you know, it probably held me back in the margins. I had engaged in the world a little differently. But I, I felt that um, I was able to succeed. But how I look at it now is, yes, I was able to succeed in a man's world because I was I was willing to play by a certain set of rules and mm -hmm. um, I'm not doing it anymore. And and so now I think we get to make it. It's just going to be the world, not a woman's world, not a man's world, but how men and women can engage equally. And that's the charge of women in America today. I feel that the baby boomer generation brought us this far and gave us all this opportunity. And now we get to remake it. Yes. And uh, that is um, what is in your book, Dear Madam President, an open letter to women who will run the world. And um, do you, how do you feel when, when people suggest that you know, maybe you just had to, you know, we just had to go through this and, and like the light at the end of the, yeah. tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel is like, you know, this new age now for women. Like, how does that 
<laughs> uh, it made me nauseous for a while, right. um, but I have come to believe it. And it's sad, Jimon, it's sad, but, and it's sad for, it pains me for Hillary that that is her role, but I, I think it is. Um, and it was a really important role. I mean, it is somebody had to do it. It is a really, like somebody, somebody had, had to do it. It's, <laughs> I know, I know it doesn't, I think that, um, you know, one thing we haven't talked about yet is about is how women are portrayed in in history. And one big problem that we had on the Clinton campaign was uh, it was very hard to tell Hillary's personal story. And Hillary didn't think she had an interesting story of her in within her own life, which sounds crazy. I know. Um, but it's true for most women candidates. If you talk to groups yeah. that work with women's candidates, it's like emerge or, um, Emily's list, I'll tell you this, this is very common though. Um, and what Hillary's would say, she's like, you know, my husband has a story. President Obama has a story. I don't have a story. And I thought about that a lot. And I think what it is, is for people, we want our leaders, particularly our presidents, we want their biography to reflect classic elements of the American dream, you know, stories in the American Canyon that we love and treasure and recognize. And, you know, you could see how that's true for President Obama. He like fulfilled the promise of equality. It made us really proud. And mm -hmm. President Clinton is a raise yourself up by your bootstraps, come from small town America, a place called hope for God's sake. Um, and, you know, single parent, father died before he was born um, and become the Elite, you know, the new generational leader of this country. Um, and we just didn't, there's just not anything in Hillary's story that we recognize. If anything, it made us uncomfortable because she was somebody who was always pushing the boundaries of how, yeah. of the role that women were normally in. Right. So I think now that's the thing she did. That's among the big things she did. Mm. She is going to be, I, I really believe that she is going to be a major figure in American history. There are going to be college courses, mm. you know, taught about what happened to her. The, the, in my view, crazy vilification that started as early as 1992, uh, which I think it's all yeah. about her being this woman that was pushing the boundaries. And not that it means everybody who didn't like her or felt uncomfortable about her is sexist. There's just, she vexes us. She confounds us because we don't have any way of thinking about her. We don't know what to make of her. Yeah. And now she is that she's part, she's a big part of the American story now. And that needed, that needed to happen. So, you know, for the, for the good parts of her story and what she's been able to prove about how a woman can do the job, a woman can be commander in chief. Um, but also the vilification of her. Next time, when you, you know, when you hear Kirsten Gillibrand, I don't know. There's something about her I just don't like. Or Elizabeth Warren, I don't know. There's something about her I just don't like. We're gonna we're gonna think harder about. Well, wait. What is that? You know, like what's underneath that? What am I really feeling um, here? Yeah. And I think that was her. It made me nauseous at the end of the campaign, and particularly the first few days, to think, oh my God, I couldn't even think about Hillary because it was so devastating. And I thought, oh my God, we put her through this, this hell, because that campaign was pretty hellacious, uh, only to serve her head up on a silver platter to these Trump supporters that wanted to lock her up. 
Like, is that what we did to this woman? And, you know, I've been able in the year and a half to look past that and see this incredibly valuable role that she's played. And she's, she'll continue to contribute in lots of ways and, you know, in, in the course of her own yeah. life. But I think her, you know, her place in history is firmly established now. And Jennifer, do you uh, keep in touch with her regularly? How's she doing? Mm-hmm. Um, she, yes, I do. Um, she's doing well, but I'll tell you this, you know, the thing with Hillary, uh, she's very worried about the country. So um, she's not a person. I don't think that, you know, she's not somebody who's obsessed about, oh, why couldn't it be me? Why couldn't I be president? Um, but she is very concerned about everything that she sees happening in the news every day and frets over it and, you know, tries to think about ways to make sure that, um, you know, uh, that we can, can contain the damage, uh, that's happening every day and find a way to move on it and find someone who to replace, uh, uh, Trump. So I don't, I can't say that she is at peace because, because of that piece of it. Um, yeah. uh, she worries, she's a fretter. She worries. That woman worries. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's not like her husband who sees like, who's sunny and optimistic and sees possibilities everywhere. She's somebody who says, wow, this is a big problem. What are we going to do about it? Um, and that's where she is now. Okay, Jennifer, I want to just transition here to our, uh, our final segment called superpowers mm-hmm. for success, where we really just uh, talk more to you about your your leadership and you as a person. I can, mm-hmm. I can hear your doggy barking. At the oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're at home, you're on book leave and you're yeah. in your, uh, in your home on the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah. Uh, sounds right. wonderful. Um, so let me ask you a couple quick, uh, few quick round questions. First of all, what does success in life mean for you? It means that you put your best effort into something that matters. And, um, that's how I feel about the campaign. That's how I feel about, um, my work in the white house. And that's how I feel about the work that I do now. I was very concerned after at the end of the campaign, when I still thought we were going to win, (laughs) that it had given me that campaign had given me so much focus. And I was very clear that what I was doing was valuable and true for my time prior to that working for president Obama. And I was really worried that at the end, of this, I might feel lost. Like, like my, I didn't, I didn't have value, wasn't contributing, didn't have purpose. And I found that that's not what, you know, it's not working in the White House or being part of something big like a presidential campaign that I need. It's just to put my best effort into something that matters, which I feel I've been able to continue to do. And I've learned from watching, you know, friends, my, my sister passed away last year, other friends like Elizabeth Edwards, who faced a terminal illness that in the end, there's very little you can control about your life or outcomes, but whether or not you put your, your best effort and you do it into something that you know is going to matter, that's what you can control. And that's my definition of success. And what about success in other areas of your life, like uh, personal life? Um <laughs> I know you've, you're very focused on the professional side. Uh-huh. How about the personal? Um, I think the personal is probably the same metric, <laughs> but in this case, what putting my uh, best effort into something that matters is 
my marriage. I have a fabulous husband. We've been married for 11 years. Um, I have two great stepdaughters, and I have a big extended family of nieces and nephews. Um, and the you know part of my sister um, pa- uh, passing away and getting and her illness was that brought my family, particularly with all of my nieces and nephews, together in ways that we had not done before or had expected. And I've been able to maintain that. And it's really important to me. And I've been able to use this last year in particular in writing the book and promoting the book as ways to you know, bring them in and make this, make this event something for my whole family to, uh, to appreciate and reach back out to old friends and found that I've, you know, it's really that part of my life has been the most rewarding to be very deliberate about, um, about those connections with my family, but also with other parts of our extended, um, our extended family and friends. Um, and it's been the most amazing full thing I've been able to do for decades. Okay. And Jennifer, you've been a high level strategist for many years uh, in the political world. Um, Mm -hmm. When did you know you were really good at what you do? That's a good question. I, you know, I had, I had my own bouts with imposter syndrome until I worked in the Obama White House. Um, and I still would, um, I would, even as White House communications director, I would struggle with feeling that I wasn't necessarily the best person for the job that I had, right? My job gave me a platform but I was concerned that somebody better would be giving the president better advice and it would hem me up. It would like tie me up. And so I finally decided to accept that if you had a national competition to, um, to find the best person to be white house communications director, you could probably find somebody who was better than me, but not that much better. (laughs) Just Just not, just not that much, just at the margins. And it was something, liberating about allowing myself to stop thinking I had to prove that I was perfect Mm. and absolutely the best in order to do a good job. And what, and once I liberated myself from thinking that I had to be the, you know, historic best, um, I was able to, I felt freer to speak up. I, you know, trusted my, my own gut more, trusted my own perspective more. And then what I realized was I am actually better than most people (laughs) and I am actually really good at this. And there is, um, and I think I, you know, I learned a lot because I I had watched the Clinton white house for eight years. And when I came to the Obama white house, I was particularly well prepared for it, but that was, you know, like a lot of times it's just like most things, not, not just a lot of times, like most things that hold you back. It's the stuff that's in your own head. Yeah. And if you can change your mind 
you change the world because you change the way you interact in the world and that changes the way the world responds to you. Um, the best single piece of advice I got in one sentence was people take their cue from you. So that was from my friend, Evelyn Lieberman it passed away two years ago. She was the deputy chief of staff at the Clinton white house. So you got to understand at your core that what you have to say matters. And then when you speak up, if you speak up in a meeting, like you're, like your view matters, people will think it does. If you act like you belong in that room, people will think you do. And you do belong in that room. So that is, you know, it's it's changing. And then when I act with confidence in a room, people treat me that way. So that it's the most powerful thing you can do is stop inhibit, inhibiting yourself um, in your own mind. Yeah, that's such a great Great takeaway for listeners. Um, and I love the quote that you just shared. People take their cue from you. Yeah. Um, because when you, when you know, you know, in your own heart and, and gut that you're, that you've got something to share and contribute, then you act that way. And then everybody else responds to you that way. They um, do. It's mm-hmm. radical <laughs> and it's all in your own head. Yeah. Um, and that is, and, you know, because I know, I have, you know, I've been particularly lucky in my career and I also work in, you know, most workplace environments are pretty progressive, pretty welcoming men and women both have always felt supported by that. And I know not all women have a supportive, a, as environment. So I want to be sensitive to that, but I do still, you got to believe at your core that your own perspective um, matters and you got to project that. And I try to always assume good intentions from my colleagues, men and women, Mm -hmm. both. Um, And I find that helps too. That gives you, that makes you, um, uh, that gives you, you, you're going to engage in the world in a more empowering way. If you're not looking for, if you're not looking for people to be holding you back. Right. Okay. So a few more quick questions. One, uh, the next one is, mm-hmm. um, describe a personal habit that contributes to your well-being. <sighs> Running, which is a new thing for me. I started doing it during the Clinton campaign and I'm not awesome at it, by the way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just a walk run, <laughs> but what I found was I had to clear my head. I had to get that. I had to find uh, a way to, um, uh, just get the stress out. And if I don't do it, if I skip, you know, if I skip more than a day, I can, I am agitated and I can feel it. Mm. Yeah. It's almost a, like a meditative sort of thing to, to, it, to run. Yes, it is. It's definitely, I mean, I, it's not, and it's not other times in my life. I've tried to do it to like lose weight or be fit. And that's not enough motivation mm. <laughs> for me. So I had to, it's like your, your mind is going to make you crazy if you don't do it. And <laughs> right. That works. Yeah. Okay. Jennifer, what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? The ability to get through hard times. Mm. And it is, I got to tell you, here's something really amazing about my life. I, I largely live my life free of dread. And I had not appreciated before what a big, how much that inhibits you and um, how much of your energy it can eat up. But particularly living through the, my sister's illness, she had early onset Alzheimer's, which is just about, you know, one of the most devastating diagnoses a person can get. 
Um, and so she died. She got it probably, we don't quite know, but probably in her early 40s. Um, wasn't diagnosed for it for a long time. And I lived with a lot of dread about what her day is going to be like. How are we going to deal with this? When are we going to, how are we going to handle it? We have to tell her she can't drive her car anymore. How are we going to handle it? How am I going to handle it when I have to actually walk into a facility that my older sister, who's, you know, still young and physically vibrant has to be in? Um, how am I going to handle it when I have to walk into her hospice room? And I had so much dread about all that. And it, um, and what I found was you're strong enough. Not only are you strong enough to get through anything in any one day, you definitely are. We had a lot of unexpected blessings and joy along the way in, you know, dealing with my sister's illness and it brought, um, and it just appreciate made me appreciate the value of living for each moment. What's in your control, what's not, um, and to know that, um, uh, what's, you know, you know, there's something special about being in a room with your sister, all expectations about what's to come next have faded away and you just have each other and the bonds that you share. And, you know, we're all, it's, you know, it was a tragic situation, but we're all doing okay. And I, if I had known how strong I was, uh, I would have lived my life a lot um, with a lot less fear and energy wasted on dread. Oh, well, that ties into the next question, which is what advice would you give your 25 year old self? Oh my God, just trust your gut. It's trust your gut and know you're strong enough to get through anything. Mm. Um, Hillary had, I talked to Hillary about how she got through hard times because that woman's been through some hard times, right? Mm. And she said, what I do is I don't get overwhelmed by the enormity of the problem before me, right? Because that, that's when you spiral. And, yeah. and, um, I get up every day. I do the best that I can do, whatever it is I have before me that day. I go to sleep. And then I get up and I do it again. Mm. And I, that was how I got through the campaign. That was how I got through hard days with my sister. It's like, if you get overwhelmed about everything that is to come and how you're going to deal with it, um, then you, 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 yeah. you, you can become paralyzed. Yeah. It's um, it, you have to do so, it in bite sized pieces, right? Which is what she was saying. Yeah. And just, and also, um, I, a lot of things I worry about never happen, right? There was mm-hmm. this one guy I worked with, um, when I first started working and, um, on the Hill he was from Mississippi and he said, in politics, as in life, you see five prob- problems coming down the road and three of them are going to fall in a ditch before they get to you. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, it's so true. That's right. It's so true. I say it, I repeat, you know, some of my colleagues that are fretting about this and I'm like, you guys, like whatever. And also I just, the things you worry about in life aren't the things that end up being a problem. Like no one in my family worried that my sister was going to get early onset Alzheimer's. Right. Like no one thought that. And everybody was blue, worried about other stuff. Yeah. Everybody's worried about other stuff that just like didn't ever come to pass. Mm-hmm. And so if you, you know, it doesn't make any sense to worry about things that are not in your control. And what is in your control is knowing you're strong enough to get through every day. 
And that, and by the way, there's going to be some unexpected blessings and joys that you're going to encounter along the way if you trust yourself to know that you're strong enough every day. And that's you can live a lot, live a lot better life. Right. Okay, Jennifer, do you identify as a feminist? I I do now. It's not anything I had. I had. Um, I had. You know, I thought that that was something. You know, as I was growing up in the world. Um, and growing up professionally, I thought that was something that was a label from the past that would, that applied to the baby boomer generation. Mm-hmm. And now I feel, now I see that was, uh, tragically wrong. And, um, I, I do, because I, I think that there are, there are feminine qualities that exist in men and women, both that we, that, um, I want to bring to the world. I think that, uh, the lack of this notion that you have to behave a certain way in the workplace, um, holds everybody back, men and women both. Um, and you know, some of these tests that they have for us, but like, you can't cry, you know, you can't, you can't show emotion. You can't do th- what's at the root of that is a belief. I think I believe what's at the root of that is this notion that being a woman is something you have to overcome in order to be successful in politics right. or work right like that is such it's ridiculous yeah. it's such crap like, yeah yep. that that that's what it's about that is literally what it's about yeah like if you can you know, succeed I, despite being a woman then you're you're really awesome right and if she cries that exposes her aha we caught her we mm-hmm. caught her she's an imposter she doesn't actually belong here and I don't think that, I don't know that people, I don't think people consciously think of it that way, but that's what we've inherited. And that's why I identify as a feminist to uh, aggressively uh, and consciously seek to change those assumptions in the world. Okay. But the idea of like uh, embracing the feminine in mm-hmm. women, in women and in men Mm -hmm. and and like not hiding that anymore and like bringing that to, you know, wherever you are in the workplace or or wherever Mm -hmm. Uh, that, that concept isn't really very mainstream yet or, or really being, or really being, you know, talked about in the feminist dialogue. Yeah. Well, you know, you can change, everybody can change that if they want. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I I think that it's, I, I, it's, it's changed for me. Um, I think about it. Um, I think about it differently and, um, you know, people, <clears throat> we seem to go through cycles on this stuff, right? 25 years ago was the year of the woman in politics. You know, 25 years ago, there were all these, uh, female led bands that came on the scene, like Hole and L7 and mm. garbage. And we thought rock was going to change forever. And then it kind of went back and now it's changing again. Like, I, I think that, these things happen in those kinds of cycles. And, and I, um, and there are still are people that buck the notion of, uh, of feminists. And I don't know that everybody has to embrace it in order for the world to change. Um, I've found it to be something deliberate to, um, to do. Uh, I, I just don't think there's any denying that, Women in America are engaging in the world in an empowering and new way. And I see that as feminist. Yeah, and I, I do agree. And I think that, you know, em- embracing that idea of, of 
really allowing and and facilitating both men and women to bring their feminine to their into their lives and into the world is mm-hmm. th- that that is a positive and that is that that does contribute and move the the feminist agenda forward actually so it just makes the world better i don't think anybody looks at america today very few people look at america today and say wow we've got it all figured out <laughs> right you know like <laughs> We need more perspectives. We need yeah. more. I think we need a little more compassion. We need a little more nurturing. We could be nicer to each other. And we traditionally think of these qualities as feminine, but they, they live in us both. And, you know, I, that's why I'm very convinced this is, and this is not, it's not pie, right? Just because women, if women do better, doesn't mean men do worse. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's not a zero sum game. We, we can all do Yeah. Better. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Well, last question. Uh, what are you reading mm-hmm. right now? What's on your nightstand? I'm reading a book, book. <laughs> called uh, Counting Coup. Um, uh, it's a uh, it's a book about um, uh, a tribe in Montana and a, a female high school basketball um, star. And like telling the story, uh, you know, the basket, uh, high school basketball is a big tradition in the Native American uh, uh, world. And uh, this amazing story about a female um, star that like came up on a reservation in Montana. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. yeah, counting two. It's, I mean, it's it's from two thousand, so it's been around for a while. But I was in Montana recently, and it had been recommended to me by Stephanie Shriok. Who uh, the head of Emily's List um, and a uh, native Montanan. So it's really a powerful story. I oh, recommend cool. it. All right. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes for the show. And um, Jennifer, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. You too. It's been really great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your well woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join us. Our monthly live event, Well Women Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges as women, leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Woman Drinks near you, or if there isn't one in your city yet and you'd like to start one, email info at wellwomanlife.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.